All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday morning to everybody. Thank you for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott and Tim Wurzberger. Tim's here. Tim's back finally from his gallivanting trip around the world. Tim, are you happy to be home? Yeah, it's been good. I feel like I've been a suitcase for the last two months, but I'm good now. So I'm finally home back in Charlotte, ready to ready for some... Just regular, regular stuff, regular, program. regular life. Second half of the hockey season, settle back into things. It was a very exciting weekend. The players should have been getting ready for the Olympics, packing up their Canadian, American, Russian, Finnish, Swedish, Latvian, Norwegian, Chinese gear, wherever you're from. But no, those hopes were dashed. So now they were packing up most of them, their beach gear. Some of them went skiing. I kind of followed and saw a bunch of the guys went on their vacations, a last second vacation. But some people went to Las Vegas, Tim, a small select group of all stars. And I didn't realize the NFL Pro Bowl was there at the same time. And just imagine like the nightlife with the Pro Bowl, the NFL, the NHL, how fun that would be, all the fans coming together. It's probably a cool little weekend in Las Vegas. Like I can't imagine. But anyways, the skills competition. We'll start with that. We're gonna do a recap because listen, I'm always forever tied with the all-star game. I don't know if you know Tim or our listeners know. I was in the all-star game at one point in 2016. And I won the MVP, and that's why I have a podcast and why anybody cares what I say. Because if I wasn't an all-star, who would care what I say, Tim? Nobody. So that one fluke event has snowballed into just an amazing podcast career where we are a juggernaut in the podcast environment. It's us and spit and chicklets and pretty much everyone else is underneath us. It's amazing how well we're doing. It's crazy. But anyways, moving on from our success. I'm so humble. I'm the most humble guy I know. The all-star game, the skills competition. Did you watch it? Yes or no? No, but I watched all the highlights. So like I, I couldn't watch it in real time because I was moving around, but um, I watched all the, the replays and it was fun. It looked like a lot of fun. So we'll go with the traditional events. There was a couple stalwarts that they always have the bread and butter of the all-star games. And I think the marquee event, the last few years, ever since Connor McDavid entered the league has been the fastest skater. Connor's won it three times. He is, I want to say not hands down, but he is known as the fastest man on the planet with a pair of skates on his feet. Going into this, did you know Jordan Cairo was this fast because he won and he won not going away, but the kid buzzed around the ice pretty quick. Adrian Kempe from L.A. came second. Connor McDavid finished fourth. Very uncharacteristic by him. Did you like the fastest skater or was it just another ho-hum event for you? Would you say that Cairo was like a little water bug out there in that competition? No, because water bugs are shifty. I feel like he's a speedster. This is a speedster up and down. My, my dark horse in this one was Chris Kreider. 
because he is yeah. so powerful, so fast. He disappointed a little bit, but he was, you know, I think he came, I want to say, I don't know, but he, he was, he was my pick, my dark horse. And it just never came to fruition. Jordan Cairo, quick little guy, McDavid. Do you think he's just lost interest? Do you think he's just been there, done that? Like, what? you yeah, know, oh, I'm a fast skater. Who cares? There was no way he was going 100% and coming in fourth in the league. And again, like fourth place, it was like a tenth of a second after first place Kyrou and two other guys in between. So these guys were all right neck and neck. But for McDavid to not win, um, yeah, he, this event means nothing to him at this point. Yeah, I, I, I wonder why he even enters it. Because I know when I was playing with Gabrick or I was playing with other guys, they didn't even want to go in those events because everybody expects them to win. I watched, I'm going to, keep going back and forth between football and hockey. They did the 40 yard dash and Tyree kill was the fastest man on the planet. He came forth. He lost to a linebacker. So you could tell he wasn't even trying. He had his hoodie on and his sweatpants. The other guy didn't have a shirt on and he was just gone. So it is what it is. I, I wish he would have taken it a little more seriously, but like you said, he finished with the time of 16.6 or 13.690. Kairu won a 13.550. So it's literally the, a hundredth of a second he beat them by. So it's not like Jordan Cairo was winning hands down. He beat Adrian Kempe by not a hundredth of a, like, a thousandth of a second, like the second decimal point because he finished 13.585 and it was 13.550. So they're fractions, fractions of a fraction of a second they win by. So, but very exciting. It, it didn't move the needle for me that much. I don't know why the players didn't seem too interested. It was just like, uh, Oh, you know, okay, here we go. Out of all the events, I feel like the players are more cautious about this one because they get a little bit of time to warm up, but then they go and sit down and they have to sit there and wait for the guys to go. So the advantage goes to the guy who goes first because you're already warm. You, you've been you know, warming up and then you go and sit on the bench. If you're Connor McDavid, you're the last guy to go or Kale McCarr or Dylan Larkin you have to sit for 10, 15 minutes. Then you're asked to go and like, just go from zero to a hundred in a split second. So it's not entirely fair, but what are you going to do? It's the all-star game. It's all for fun. I think out of all the events, this was my least favorite though. That's just me. I don't know. What, where does this, do you, do you like it? The, the fast skater? Is this, is this up there for you, Tim? Are you, are you there, Tim? There, there was a time when I liked it, but no, I don't. Um, I, I, I think the hardest shot would be like kind of right there with that, where it's like, it's cool, but there's no one, there's no one that I'm excited to go see shoot the hardest shot. You know what I mean? Like Hedman won 103.2, which is obviously a total laser, but it's not, it's not watching Chara or, or Shea, Shea Weber. Yeah. Right. Um, or when even like were, Ovechkin, you know, when they were going head to head Chara and Weber, that was must see TV. Because right. it, it was like Bonds and Sosa in the home run derby. It, it was two massive shots going back and forth, and you didn't know who was going to win. You assumed Shea Weber, but then Chara came out of left field and just boom, 108.8. And then Shea Weber came in, boom, 106.8. It's like, holy moly, these are fast shots. And yes, Hedman, 103.2 is great, but, but it's not 108.8. Like, that's five miles an hour faster. That's a big shot. That's a, when I, when I was in, that's the event that I did because I was in the all-star game in 2016. I don't know if I ever bring that up. I was so incredibly nervous before that event. I could not hold my stick. I, I was just shaking. I think I, I don't know what my final speed was 99 something. I don't know if I hit 100, but the winner of that event only got one, one Oh two or something. So there wasn't a big shot that all-star game. It, it was a very lackluster event. I think Steven Stamkos was in it. Cal Clutterbuck. No, not Cal Clutterbuck. There was a couple. Of, I wanted to put guys who I knew I could beat. So I asked the NHL, if I could put guys like, um, who were just snipers who I could just go and beat, but they wouldn't let me. They had like Dustin Bufflin had to be in it and you had to put these bigger guys in it. But I, I wanted like uh, Patrick Kane to go in it and Johnny yeah. Gaudreau to go in it. And so, because as a captain, you pick the guys in the events, that's what comes along with that responsibility. And I, lo I like, I loaded it with just small guys who weighed a buck 50 and the NHL came in after the fact and they said, no, you, you can't do that. 
And so then they loaded it back up with all the heavy hitters. And I was like, oh, great, I'm going to lose. And then I put myself in a bunch of other events and they came back in and said, no, you're not in any of those events. So they go, that stinks. Cause I wanted to go on accuracy. Cause my favorite player is Ray Bork. And they're like, no, you're not going to go on accuracy. <laughs> and then I wanted to, and I wanted to do a bunch of other things and have fun with the weekend. Cause it's supposed to be for fun. And they said, no, we're not doing that. So at, at that point in your career, how many shots you think it would have taken you for the accuracy? Based on nerves, seven or eight, probably. What Just about, because you're like, nervous. An empty sheet of ice. Oh, I've done it before on an empty sheet of ice, four for four. That's the thing. If you're in the show, and I was, I know I, I was a goon, you should go four for four. You know, if you're on an empty sheet of ice, no pressure at all, maybe four out of five. You know what I mean? Like, you should be able to get that pretty easy. The targets are big. You're not standing that far away. The thing that gets you is the time. You want to get them off quick. If you weren't racing the clock and you had time to dust the puck off a little bit and pick your spots, everybody in the whole NHL should be able to go four for four. If you give them three times to do it, does that make sense? You get a set of four pucks three times. You should be able to go four for four in one of those three times. That's if you can't do that, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be able to be in the NHL because I I could do it. I was the worst player in the show for 10 years. So Moving on. But yes, Hedman wins the hardest shot. Good for him. Pellick comes second. Good for him. I didn't even know he was in the All-Star game. The game itself, I didn't even notice him. Anyways, moving on. My favorite event was the 21 and 22. I like this. I thought it was clever. I thought it was neat. I liked the whole setup. I didn't like Derek England broadcasting. I thought he was a little bit of a dud. And I'm not throwing shade at him just because, you know, I want to be in his shoes and I want, I wish I was there. Maybe there's, there's a part of that. I, I didn't think he bring brought much to the broadcast. Jerry D was great. I don't know if they were broadcast all over to all the networks, but they, you know, Jerry D did a good job. I like this. Did you see this event? Was it fun for you, Tim? Yeah, it was really cool. Someone made a joke too about like them having to do the math on the fly. How impressed, <laughs> how impressed they were. Like, okay, he can count to 21. Good for him. Yeah. It's like for you, it's like combining your two favorite things, right? Math and shooting targets. You know what I always thought? Speaking of numbers, have you ever watched professional darts? Yes. Yeah. It's incredible the the speed that that guy adds up because you have first you have to multiply. Because just say he hits a triple 17. So he's got to know, okay, so it's 51. And then you got to add it on to like a triple 18 or a single. And he does it in a split second. And I don't even think he has a calculator. Maybe he does. And he's just like playing it off like he's super smart. That always amazes me how fast that guy can add. Because 152. And it's like, whoa, that was really good. Anyway, so yes, the, the accuracy competition, the 21 and 22, it was, correct me if I'm wrong, front of the show, Brady Kachuk. Friend of the show, Joe Pavelski, Steven Samkos, Nazim Kadri, and Austin Matthews. Not a friend of the show, Austin Matthews. <laughs> Enemy of the show. He's never coming they'll, on. They'll never, ever. There's a couple of guys we have burned that bridge, baby, and it's never going to be rebuilt. But I liked it. I thought it was a novel thing. It was obviously for Las Vegas. It's a gambling city. Joe Pavelski going into this, I'm like, this, he's got to win it. He's, that's what he's known for. In the slot, give him the puck. There's no one better in the game who can pick a corner and make it work. And he, he dominated, right? Like There was nobody close. Kachuk nails a two the first round. Austin Matthews nails a three. Stammer kind of was close. But Joey Pavelski, friend of the show, so incredibly good. I'm excited for him. It, it, it wasn't super duper exciting, but I like that event. It, it just thought outside of the box. Pretty neat. What did you think, Tim? Yay, nay. Keep yeah, it, I like it. it. I, well, I don't know if you keep it because it is so specific to Vegas, but I think I like the idea of each city introducing something specific to them. Like maybe if it's back in Nashville, you introduce it to like riding a bull or something. I don't know. Just something that's like cool and, and unique about that city. Maybe it's Philadelphia. You got to shoot pucks and crack a Liberty Bell. Things like that. I think that's really cool. If it's Buffalo, you have to just be depressed and cry in the corner. <laughs> that's <laughs> a good the one. best at that. <laughs> if it's Toronto, you have to plan a Stanley Cup parade and then scrap it and throw it in the garbage every year. <laughs> that, that would be really fun. We could pick, come up with some really fun games. All right. The, the accuracy. My, my former favorite 
event just because I'm a Ray Bork guy through and through number 77 had a Sherwood hockey stick PMP unbelievable stick Ray Bork won that set the record for how many seconds did you get it in Tim we said it earlier seven something seven something yeah by the way friend of the show Ray Bork we get well represented here we get some big deals on here don't don't get me wrong we're not the chicklets we don't have the ESPN Disney umbrella to give us we have to work for our interviews and we got ourselves some Ray Bork he's a Hall of Famer Sebastian Ajo dominates, goes four for four, 10 seconds, solidifies himself as just a bona fide sniper. I do think if Joey Pavelski was in it, maybe he would have won. Maybe he would have been a little quicker. I like his his release a little bit more than Sebastian Ajo. But what are you going to do? Say la vie, you can't be in every event. I like Sebastian Ajo. What did you think of this event? I know I keep posing the question to you. What do you think of this event? Did you like it? Did you, were you surprised Sebastian Ajo won this? Because he's, you think of Sebastian, you think of maybe a limp wrist who doesn't have that hard of a shot. Maybe that's the sense you get of a Sebastian Ajo. He's a big kid. He's strong. He was ripping those pucks four for four. I don't know. Any, anything, Tim? I just, it, it, when I watch it, I'm like, man, he's quick. Like it, four, it, 10, 10 point something seconds, he got all four. Um, then you realize like what Ray Bork did. Th- that was the only, my only takeaway. It's like three seconds less nailed off four. like that's, that is just crazy, but still pretty impressive. It's really incredible. Then they did goaltender competition, the breakaway Vasilevsky and Jack Campbell wins. It beats out UC Soros and camp Talbot pretty. I, I like this. They had a safe streak of nine. I think Soros and Talbot had five. It, it, it kind of gives the goalies a little bit of time yeah. to shine. Usually in these all-star events, it's just, you feel for the goalies. You really do because they just, it's an onslaught of shots, nonstop breakaways, nonstop one-timers, but it was good for the goalies to get a little time in the sun, but I didn't really care about the goalies that much. It was on to, Oh, let's do the breakaway competition. Cause there was a couple real, just real stinkers that I was like, what are we doing here? And there was a couple specifically one that I almost crapped my pants because it was so good. Part of my language. I was blown away by how good it was. I know it was theatrical. I know there was a lot of bells and whistles, but the the stick work that went into that goal was amazing. Let's start with the duds. Alex Peter Angelo had no business being in the all-star breakaway competition. Let's just start there. He's a defenseman. He is a, he, he has okay skills. He's never been known for slick hands. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's a very good defenseman who can make that first pass and he gets up the ice well. You're not going to confuse him for a Kale McCarr. You're not going to confuse him even, even for a Dougie Hamilton. Alex Peterangelo is a steady-as-she-go type of defenseman. Why he was in this event was beyond me. I'm glad the drummers were there because if we were to witness just that breakaway that he did, we would have all just been scratching our head like, what are we doing here? It, it was a complete travesty to the game. I didn't like it. Not a travesty. Let me pump the brakes a little bit. It, it was, I didn't like it. It was, it was a complete waste of time for me. The drummers were good, but the, and I feel for Peter Angel because when you look at the list of events and you look, oh, I'm in the breakaway competition. What do I do here? I got, I'm a, I'm a stay at home defenseman in this point in my career. What am I going to do? Just take a slap shot and maybe light a cigar like, I don't know. So it's, he came up with a drum line, very creative, but his move was, he just went in and like took a backhand shot. Like he didn't even, I don't even think he took one's deke. I don't know. Did you see that? Am I just being a negative Nancy here or was that that bad? I didn't like it at all. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of set up for failure, just being the player that he is being a defenseman. Like what is he supposed to do? I think he could have done something a little bit more creative though. Um, like what's their, what's their mascot? I don't know the name, the golden knight. Is that his name? The golden knight, whatever. Um, Who knows? Yeah. Like do a duel with him, do a sword fighting duel and then go in and score or something like draw the crowd in a little more than, uh, I don't know. It's whatever it's, it's, it was kind of boring. And then John Hamm, he won because John Hamm gave him 19 points. And they're like best friends. Apparently. Yeah. It just, so it, was, it was a joke. I didn't like it. The, the player with the best moves came third place. Trevor Zegras was by, by far, hands down, it combined theatrics. It combined a little bit of humor. There was a story behind it, and he executed it unbelievably. 
I, I don't think he gets the the due he does he's deserved. Jack Hughes got fifty nine points because he had some kid pop out of a box and go on a breakaway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a, I'm a magician. I got a kid popping out of a box and then he goes down and scores. Bar factor a million on that one. I didn't like that at all. You probably liked it because you're a, you're a Hughes fan. You like you love his brother Quinn. I do like both Hughes, but no, I didn't like it it's because it just took so long. It's like there was a lot of like Jack sort of like stand, he's in the spotlight. He's on the he's on the clock and he's just sort of standing, getting ready and adjusting this or that. Or, and it's just, yeah, it took too long. I didn't like it. The kid also came out too early or too late. Like you saw him coming out behind the, the curtain, which he wasn't supposed to do. So it's a, it's a joke that Zegers didn't win it. Like this one of the maybe the best one I've ever seen in an All Star game. Like I can't I can't remember something better. And I keep watching that clip on replay and slow mo. The one handed drag with skates. Oh, I I can I I couldn't do it. I could not obviously, but I could not do that. I will challenge all of our listeners to even just try to skate half speed and pick the puck up on your stick. Just do that. <laughs> just to pick it up on your stick. It's very hard to do. He did it. He was skating half speed, picks it up on a stick and not a lacrosse style one handed, like just whipping the puck around and spinning at the same time. And then to go far side over the pad. It's unbelievable. He, he wasn't blindfolded. He could see through the blindfold. Like, let's, let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. He is the most skilled player I've ever seen in my life. Oh, well, that's a big one. He's unbelievable. Robbie Shrimp did that in an AHL All-Star game, but Robbie didn't have a blindfold, wasn't getting dodgeballs thrown at him, and it wasn't the All-Star game in Vegas. And Trevor did it with one hand, and he was spinning. It was unbelievable the skill level that this takes, and he gets a 58 because I don't think anybody realized what he did with the puck. I think they were distracted by the mascots and the dodgeballs and this and that and a blindfold. I think after the fact, when they showed the replay, you could hear the fans go, whoa, that was incredible. What did we just witness? Let's slow it down a little bit because it needs to be watched again and again and again, like you said, because this, I'm telling you what, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, Troy Terry did a good job in the accuracy. I think he came third. Trevor Zegras. Then you got Isaac Lundstrom, obviously. These three guys, and then Drysdale on the back end. You got Sonny Milano and Mason McTavish, too. And then if John Gibson can maintain his level of play for, you know, even three, four more years, they're going to be a very dangerous team. They they have so much potential. And these guys that are supposed to be developing are unbelievable players right now. You, you can see the progression from the beginning of the year with these guys to this point. And they're only a half a year into their, their NHL. They're going to be a very good team, a very, very good team. When you look at the teams out West, the depth, that the teams don't have a lot of the time. When you look at the LA Kings, they're still trying to figure things out. San Jose, Woof, um, Vegas, you know, they're good now, but in a few years, Colorado will be good for a long time. They've set themselves up good. Anaheim is, is, is right there. They have such a good young core coming up. They have a lot of cap space. They're losing some big salaries in the coming years. If they can play their cards right and get some good players to supplement these high end young guys, Oh, man, are they going to be good? Because Trevor Zegras, I'm telling you right now, I'm not even over-exaggerating this. He might be the most skilled player in the NHL right now. Just with just pure creativity, just hands and feet and everything that goes into it. He's so incredibly good. Everything I see of him is just dynamite. I don't know. Maybe I'm just blowing I, smoke up his behind, no, but it, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. I've got cap friendly in front of me. They have $27 million in cap space right now and off the books this year. And I'm sure those resigned some of these guys, but for less money, Ricard, Ricard Raquel, Getzloff, Delorier, Hampus Lindholm, and Josh Manson. That's like another $20 million. It's crazy. They have a lot of money and they're, they're in a good spot. Not a lot of teams have a lot of money because the cap will remain flat. If it does move a little bit, it'll be like a half a million bucks. So it's not going to be a big, big jump. They're going to be players in the next few years, Tim. You mark my words. They have a good young group and that 
you have to maximize those guys while they're, while they're on their ELC. You have to, because as soon as they get over that, they're going to be making six, seven, eight million bucks. Your window's closed. You got to do it now. These young guys come in and they have a huge impact rate rate right away. We didn't see that 10 years ago. The young guys are so incredibly good. It's very exciting. All right. Moving on to actually, I think, what is the story of the whole weekend? Claude Giroux. Correct me if I'm wrong. He, he, the Philadelphia Flyers, Chuck Fletcher was watching this, just licking his chops. His value at the trade deadline skyrocketed after this weekend. It was already high, but in my opinion, he went out there and solidified the fact that he is an elite NHL player. He just put his stamp on this all-star game. He said, I am here. I am one of the best players on the planet still. Come and get me because I want to win a Stanley Cup. That's, I think he was motivated. I think he knew what he was doing. He had an agenda and he went out and he just dominated the game. I thought it was really, really just, it was glaring to me how, how much better he was than a lot of the players on the ice. Cause maybe they weren't trying, maybe they weren't fully invested. Claude went out. He played well. He scored goals. He back-checked. He was winning in the face-off circle. He was doing everything right. And he won the MVP and the Metro division won. How high is Claude Giroux's value right now? If I'm Chuck Fletcher, I am so incredibly excited to start calling around and seeing the offers because it has to be like he's going to get a, a boatload for this guy. Do you think that he tries to ride some of this this momentum and this like, sort of energy right after the All-Star game and try to trade him sooner than later? Like trade him now as opposed to later at the deadline? Or do you think that GM don't necessarily gravitate to that? Well, yeah, I think he starts entertaining. Well, first, Claude has to wave his no-move clause. Cause right now he's not going anywhere. And so they have to have that conversation, but absolutely. If I'm, if I'm Chuck Fletcher, I want Claude gone for as good as he's been for as big as he is for our franchise. The best thing for me is for him to leave and to kind of just start all over because him, Couturier, all these older guys, we need them to move on. Van Riemsdyk, we need to move on and build around the younger guys, Provorov and all these other young pieces that we have. So yeah, if he gives me the okay, I'm calling everybody. I'm calling all of the contenders. I'm saying, do you want this guy? What do you have in your piggy bank? What can you give me? This guy will change you from a potential contender to the team to beat in the NHL. And there are a lot of teams that are in that gray area that have a really good team, but maybe they're not as good as Colorado. <clears throat> they have a really good team, but maybe they can't compete with a Tampa Bay because those are, those are the benchmarks. When you look at teams out west, out west and out east, it's like, okay, we got to be Tampa Bay. Oh, West, it's Colorado. So if I'm right there and a team that I think he's going to go to, this is, this is my ideal trade partner with the Philadelphia Flyers is the Minnesota Wild. They, they truly lack a number one center. And, and I, 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 I know I'm sliding some players. If they get Giroux, they can slot them in for one C. And it just, it just makes Minnesota so, so much better. You can, you can slide down Joel Erickson Eck. Ryan Hartman gets sl- slides down to the third line and it just makes their team almost, I don't want to say unbeatable, but they get to compete with Colorado. If you have a Claude Giroux in that lineup, I've said it many, many times. Their defense is one of the best defensive core in the whole NHL. They have a good goaltender to get Claude Giroux slot him in as your one C and Claude's just not an offensive player. He's been nominated for the Selkie a few times. Like he is, he's good all over the ice. You can play him in any position, power play, penalty kill. The guy just is a good hockey player. And I don't think he's going to go and ruin a locker room. I don't think he's going to upset anybody, but if he could go to the Minnesota wild, a team that is almost there. Do you agree, Tim? I think Minnesota, if the playoffs started today, they would almost be there. They just need that little extra push. And I think Giroux would do that. And if, and if I'm Chuck Fletcher, I'm making a deal with Minnesota. Minnesota, gosh, if they got him, they'd be the Stanley Cup favorites, in my opinion. That, that would push them over the top. Barring if Jack Eichel came back and Stone came back and all these guys for Vegas, that's a whole other ball of wax there. But that would change their team so incredibly much to have that guy added to their lineup. Yeah, I agree. And then the point about the number one center, too, I think is valid. And I think he just brings so much. And the thing, too, we've seen this before where guys where they're, they're captains and that when that responsibility comes off their shoulders and they can just go bring, you know, still bring their experience and leadership, but just go bring their game. You know what I mean? Like not having to, to bear the weight of that. Um, not that, you know, it's a, that he's bad at it or anything, but it just, it just changes things a little bit mentally. So I think going at being able to just go in and play his game and bring what he has to bring. Um, 
would work wonders for him. I could see him being like, you know, a huge, huge addition really anywhere he goes. And it's funny because we had that clip last week talking about how we'd rank like Hurdle, Pavelski, Debrinkit, uh, JT Miller, Giroux. And I think Giroux was, was last on both of our lists. And then most of the comments kind of agreed with that. Um, well, we got a great one last night saying like, uh, yeah, Giroux is incredible. I don't know why people don't know this. Like, why are people not talking about how good he is? So, yeah, I think I think the All Star Game sort of reminded people how much he still has left in the tank, and then hopefully we're able to see a deal work out where he goes to a contender. <clears throat> he's going to have to, you know, I think Philly will have to eat some of the cap, um, only because he's he's got eight million dollar cap. They'll own about four million ish left in the year. Um, so there's some kind of financial finagling they'll have to do to make it work. Where do you see him? ending up if, if he does get traded what's another good destination for him other than the wild i know the bruins have been in the mix what do you what do you yeah. think would be a good destination for a claude Giroux? well certainly i'd love to see him on the bruins and the second line of hall Giroux, and pasternak what that would do to second pairing defensemen would be just be a lot of fun to watch um two other teams i have my name my eye on are nashville um which i think similarly i don't they have some number one centers they got duchenne they got johansson but i think Drew, I would put above both of those guys. Um, so I think him and, and Drew can also play the wing, by the way, too. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, so Nashville and then, then Calgary. I think he would be really good fit in Calgary, um, who's still right now in the fourth spot in, in the Pacific. They're still, you know, eyeing a playoff run. Um, Edmonton's chasing him. So I don't know. They might want to make the move sooner than later to make sure that they make the playoffs. But I could see him fitting well there, too. Another team that I want to keep an eye on is I know a team they're in on Jack Eichel. And the reason I think this makes sense for this team is they have a lot of cap space, like a lot of cap space is the New York Rangers. And I, and I've heard rumors. They will make a splash at the deadline. They have a very good team. I know they're in the top, tough metropolitan division, metropolitan division. They're, they're tied up with Carolina hurricanes, but I like the Rangers right now. They have two are, they already have two really, really good centermen and Mika Zabinijad and Ryan Strom, but much like Giroux, Strom can play the wing. And if you slot Giroux at two center and put him with Panarin and Capocacco, or even a Strom on the right side there, then you keep the first line with Kreider, Zabinijad and Lafreniere that's a pretty dangerous one, two punch when you have those two lines rolling out and you have your solid checking line with Barclay Goudreau leading that. We know how he good, how good he is in the playoffs. Excuse me. Then your checking line with Ryan Reese. It's a really good lineup. So the Rangers always make a splash. They, they've been dying for a winner there for a long time. Back when Callahan and Lundqvist and all those guys were kind of trying to get that Stanley cup, they haven't had one since 94 when the moose Mark Messier, we're going to win. And then we're going to win again. And they did. And they had the big ticker tape parade, but I, I don't know. Don't sleep on the New York Rangers. I think out of all the teams, they have the do-re-mi space to make a move, and they have a decent prospects pool to make something work with the Philadelphia Flyers. The only thing is, does Philadelphia even make a deal with the New York Rangers? They're in the same division. They always have heated rivalries. Is it just out of spite? I, I don't. I hope it doesn't come to that, if they can have the best package to give up for uh, Claude Giroux, but I don't know. The Wild, the Rangers, the Predators, the, the Flames. I think any one of those teams are going to vibe. I don't think he goes to the Bruins. I really don't. I'm, I'm tired of the Bruins just being linked to everybody. I think he goes to a team that is just like very, very close to being that contender. I think the Rangers fit that bill. I think the Wild fit that bill. Where, where do you think he wants to go? Giroux? Yeah. Probably the Rangers. I would, I would say team. so. Yeah. He, he's comfortable in that division. He, he is very comfortable with the Rangers. He's played there thousands of times being in Philadelphia. So that would be a good spot for him. But I don't know. Maybe he wants to completely change the scenery and go out west. Maybe he, if I uh, send me to Colorado, you know, <laughs> obviously he'd want to go there or go to Vegas, but beggars can't be choosers. And I think the teams vying for his service will be those teams that are just very, very, very close to winning the Stanley cup and they need that extra bump to be in the same level as the Colorado avalanche. Oh, Tim, I'm hungry. I didn't have breakfast this morning. You know what I'm going to do? DoorDash. I had someone actually, one of my friends this past week, he said, I'm going to order DoorDash. Do you want anything? I'm like, are you using my promo code? He's like, you have a promo code. And it blew my mind that no, not everybody knows about our promo code, Tim. If you're listening to this, even if your friends and family don't listen to this podcast, tell them, 
Save the money. Everybody has DoorDash on their phone. Everybody has it on their computer. Tell your friends, tweet it out. Instagram it out. I don't care. Save people money. Spread the word. We get a 20 million listeners. 10 million people can use our promo code. I don't care. Take DoorDash's money. Use our promo code. Get free food. Our promo code is DoorDashDD if you're in Canada. DoorDashDDUS if you're in the USA. Do it. Get No, it's gloves, not DoorDash. It's GlovesDD. GlovesDDUS. I'm so excited to take their money. I'm just using their name always. It's a good deal. You get 25% off free delivery. Check it out. I encourage you. Tell everybody you know. It blew my mind that not everybody's using our promo code. It absolutely just, I'm like, what? How is the whole world not using our promo code? I think we're the only company that works with DoorDash that you get this deal with. But I'm not sure. There could be a couple more. But go go do it. Get yourself some food. Tell them we sent you, and you'll just be happy. All right, Tim, what else are we talking about? Uh, just a quick note on the, the Blackhawks um, GM search. They're trying to replace, obviously, Stan Bowman. Um, they have interim GM Kyle Davidson. So he's interviewing for the full-time job. Scott Mellenby over the weekend. And last night, I mean, it was official. I think the, the rumors came in later last week. But Peter Shirelli was also no. in the mix. Yeah. no, no. No, <laughs> no, no. Most, I don't know. I feel like Shirelli and the Blackhawks deserve each other. Like, no, he, he cannot be a GM again. No, there's no way, right? There's no way he can be a GM again. I am not a Shirelli fan. Don't worry. I am not. Nobody is. Well, yeah, but he's got the one cup. He does have a cup. You can't take that away from him. But Ugh. no, he is not. He is not the answer here. But this is this is exactly what you've been saying about like the boys club. Like once you've held the job once, you'll have it. You'll have a job at some point for as long as you want it. Someone will always hire you because you've done it. The fact that he's even getting an interview is it, blow, like, it blows my mind. It's so insane that he's even a, a candidate. There's a, what I found interesting is the Hawks are like, using ex players for this search. They're, they tab Patrick Sharp. I think Marion Hosa is in on Hosa, the mix as well. Yep. Campbell, and Olchuk. And Eddie Olchuk, Olchuk, yeah. maybe Soupy is in there too. D- do you like that? Asking ex players, what do they know about what a good GM would be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if coach, maybe that makes sense. GM, there's, there's some distance there. There's some separation. So yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I, I don't understand. I think it's more of just a publicity thing. Oh, we're going to ask that people. I think the Hawks know they're in a PR nightmare situation right now, especially after Rock, Rocky Wirtz just snapped at a reporter oh. who asked about Kyle Beach. It's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> figure it out. Words. And so I know they're just a PR disaster right now. And so maybe they're saying, well, we're going to ask Patrick Sharp. Everybody loves Patrick Sharp. Eddie Olchuk. Everybody loves Eddie. So maybe they're trying to just bring in some good feelings maybe to the organization, but I don't think they're going to do anything. Maybe they'll be in on the zoom interview, but at the end of the day, those guys, their input's not going to really carry much weight. It's going to be Rocky's decision. It's going to be the president's decision, whoever that is. I don't know who the president is even at this point, but they need to get someone who is just, they're going to be in the rough spot. Like in the next five years, they got those contracts. They like, I don't know. I don't see the Hawks. They got to get rid of flurry. They got, I don't know. They're, it's a very tricky situation in Chicago because they have a lot of good players to bring it. Doc Kublik, you got Jones, you have Kane and Taves still like you have a lot of good players. It, it's just, it's a very tricky situation. I could totally see the situation where they add a couple pieces and they're contenders again, but I could also see it going South where they just, spiral downwards and they're a bad team and they're one of the last place teams in the NHL, much like a Philadelphia Flyers. So I don't know the GM, that's going to be a tricky job. It what once was a primo job in the NHL being the GM of the Blackhawks has turned into just like, do I want to go there? Do I want to deal with all the stuff that surrounds that organization at this point? Maybe you don't, maybe, you know, if you're a Scott Mellonby, you just say, you know what, I'm going to wait for a little better spot because Scott Mellonby is a sought after commodity at this point. Peter Shirelli, not so much. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on that situation. What else we got, Tim? Yeah, to go through some quick hits here. Jack Hughes was on COVID protocol. <gasps> Jack Hughes was in Vegas for the All-Star game. <gasps> there was a player from every team in that tournament. Oh, so I, I, no one's really talking about this. Hopefully there's no kind of outbreak coming across all that. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't really know what the deal is with all of that, but he does he's, he is on COVID protocol, and 
a lot of guys had exposure to him. Technically, the entire league had exposure to him. So whether what where he makes got this, it, this makes a, it's even more trickier, Tim, because Jack Hughes, one of his celebrations after he scores is to do a kiss on the lips. So uh, if he has COVID, after he scores a goal, he kisses every one of his teammates on the lips. So the exposure is is definitely it's real. It's real. So we'll see how this shakes out. I, I would say every one of his teammates who he kissed on the left is teasing. <laughs> the look on your face was like, what? The vein in your head starts to grow. John, what are you doing? <laughs> Imagine yeah. that celebration. This is an old school <laughs> kiss smooch on the lips. Come here. Yeah, good pass. <laughs> I don't know. I would be down for it. It'd be nice. Show a little affection. It's not a terrible thing. But yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. He's got COVID or he's in protocol. I don't know who protocol. Yeah. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. Next one. Jack Eichel is close to being cleared for contact. So this is such a loaded thing because you just don't know how much time did he spend in contact with his teammates in practice before he enters an NHL game. You said that no one wants to be the guy that hurt Jack Eichel. So maybe they go easy on him through the rest of this season, but the playoffs they're not, they won't. Right. So no different yeah. animal in the playoffs. Yeah. You target yeah. Jack Eichel. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out and really how this whole surgery holds up against actual physical contact. I think it's just it's been on par for his prognosis. Right. When when he had the surgery, they, they gave him his rehabilitation schedule and they said, we're going to shoot for a February playtime. And we're, we're right here. It, it, I think everything has gone as planned concerning Jack Eichel. You know, he he's doing what he needs to do. The surgery obviously was a success. He is cleared every single barrier that he has to overcome when it comes to his rehabilitation. And here we are. I'm guessing when he starts contact, it'll be a week to two weeks from the start to when he starts playing. They want to make sure he's, you know, responds well to contact, but if he responds well, they'll up it every day and you'll see Jack Eichel before the month's over. And that's going to be fun. It gives him a long runway to kind of ease him into the lineup, figure out where he fits. He's been out of hockey for over a year. So he's going to, it's going to take some time for him to get reacclimated to the speed to even just being an NHL player. Not that long. You know, he's a superstar, but gosh, it's going to be fun to watch him on that team. Hopefully they can get everyone healthy and we're going to see how truly good the Vegas Golden Knights are. And then we will see how many tears Buffalo can cry watching how good Jack Eichel is where they could have just let him have this surgery and been the captain of that team and been the face of this franchise for the next decade. But no, for whatever reason, they were stubborn and they dug their heels in. They said, no, we don't want you to have this surgery. Not going to happen today, Jack. We want Alex Tuck in a first rounder and Creighton Plebs, whatever that guy's name is. I don't know. But <laughs> The, the tears that are going to flow from Buffalo are going to be enough to, to fill the Niagara Falls. It's going to be incredible. All right. The next winter classic, Tim, are you excited? Uh, I'm actually like whatever about it. So it's in Fenway, the Bruins, the, their opponent is TBD. One of the many announcements that Bettman made at the all-star game press server. He's talking about it's a new stadium series. There's going to be some games in Europe next year with Carolina, I believe. Um, and yeah, Fenway Classic is going to be back. Um, it's been it's been in New England twice. Obviously, I think 2010 was the uh, was the first time at Fenway. Then it was at the Gillette Stadium where the Patriots play in 2015 or 16, which turned out to be a total dud, and they played horribly. And the weather was bad; like it wasn't great. The thing with Fenway, it's just not built for that. Like, it's such an oddly shaped baseball park. Like, it, there's not a lot of good seats. It's going to be crazy expensive. I'm sure, like, the ambiance and the, you know, the, the the scene of it will be really, really cool. But I feel like it just, it just won't, it's just not made for that. I've been to hockey games there. I saw some college BC games, BU. And the other <laughs> thing, too, is that it just takes away a little bit from, how special that that game against the Flyers was for the Bruins fan 10 years ago when they come back and the, the late goal by Marco Sturm or and then Rucky score or something like that. It's just, yeah, it was, that was pretty good. I feel like this might, this might uh, just take away from that a little bit. I agree. We, we've said it before. The outdoor games are getting just a little redundant at this point. It seems like every month there's a new game, the winter classic, the, this, the, the heritage classic, what else is out there? Everything's classic. So <clears throat> I don't know. I, it's, it feels like the Bruins and the Blackhawks went on a span where every year they both played an outdoor game at some point. So I don't like it. I think if you're going to do an outdoor game, put it in Dallas. 
Jerry Jones would love to have a game on his field. I would imagine, you know, make it big, do something different. You've done it out West. I know that was a success. Go to Lake Marie up in uh, Whistler, do something neat, have an outdoor game up there where there's only like two fans and you skate on glacier ice. It would, I don't know. It it is what it is. I'm not going to watch it. No one, no, unless their opponent is like, Team Russia, and it's something different. Then I'll watch it like they did back in the the Russians toured and played all these NHL teams. I don't know. I think they need to pump the brakes on the outdoor game. Just let it let the dust settle. Take five years off, and then come back. There's a whole new group of fans who haven't seen one. People will be hungry to watch an outdoor game, and then you can you know, get some excitement back in the game. But I don't know. Kerry Batman, the whole I I almost am going off on an Arizona Coyotes tangent. I'm not going to. All right, Batman. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's so he's so just clueless to what he should do to to grow this game. He just could. you've been in that position, Gary Batman, for over two three decades. I want to say you've you're, you're terrible. Terrible commissioner. The worst I've ever seen out of any professional sports. The players don't like you. The fans don't like you. When you look at other commissioners, one group likes you usually. You're awful. All right. You know what? We'll go back to the All-Star game, a few more questions, and we'll pull the plug on this episode. Uh, I want to talk about collusion. I want to talk about an opportunity to maybe recruit some players. And definitely at that All-Star game, there were some guys. We talked about a Claude Giroux. Joe Pavelski. There are players who will be available at the trade deadline. And I wanted to ask you, Tim, you used to play in the NHL. Do you think players are networking at these events where, you know, who is the Bruins representative? I don't even know. Bergeron. Why was he the representative? Did we already talk about this? doesn't make sense. Why was Marshawn not there? (laughs) Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. But was there any, did you see Bergeron at all? Did he do any events? Uh, I don't even know. I uh, think he did the boringest interview event, and he won. He came first place. Yeah. It was hey, very he's, exciting. He's not worried about trying to entertain you. That's not his exactly. Point. He's not worried about entertaining anybody. That's why he should have been there. Marshawn would have been a hit. He would have been tweeting the whole time. It would have been fantastic. But do you think, like, okay, the Bruins obviously need a second line center. Do you think he's gauging Pavelski's interest? Do you think he's ga- going up to Claude, be like, hey, well. What do you think of Boston? Would you want to come here? What would your interest be? Then he reports back to Sweeney. Is there anything like that going on? Because we see it in basketball all the time. Where they're brazenly like, oh, we want Karan Butler. I don't know if he even still plays basketball. We want this guy. We want Vince Carter. Is that happening at the All-Star game in Vegas, Tim? They're at the blackjack table. He moseys on over to Pavelski. Like, hey, Pavs, you know, I doubled down. You want to come to Boston? I, I bet at least at a minimum, it's done like tongue in cheek where he's just sort of like, Hey man, like we could use you. Um, I'm sure that is going on like all the time. That's no big deal. Whether it's serious. I don't know. Cause how much, how much um, control or say do the players really have in that situation? It's not like you can convince Pavelski and Pavelski's all right, I'm coming to Boston. There's still a whole bunch of other factors that the train GMs and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bet he's at least gauging interest seeing like, Hey, Hey, Joe, like, have you talked to your GM yet? Like, do you know if you are going to go somewhere? Um, I bet there's some conversation going on. Are the, is that considered collusion? Is that is that crossing a, a line you're not supposed to cross? I think players are allowed to talk. I think that's totally fine. But what I think would be a little bit of a maybe a bad situation is if the GM approached, like if Jim Mill went to Joe Pavelski before he went to the All-Star game, and he's like, hey, you know, see if anybody wants you <laughs> or if the, Don Sweeney goes to Patrice Bergeron and it's like, Hey, you know, just maybe have a conversation, gauge your interest. I don't know if it, it's that far, but I, I know players do that. You get in the locker room, you, you're just kind of bored. You're having casual conversation and things come up you're like, Oh, you're having a good season in the, in New York. What's, what's the rink like? What's the vibe like do you? And then you, you have a side conversation. Steven Stamkos goes and has, has a talk with somebody, you know? So I do see that happening, but I, I don't know. Is there any way to it? But going back to your point of a player not having any control, they definitely do. When Claude Giroux has a no-move clause and Chuck Fletcher wants to move him, he can't move him unless Claude gives him the okay. So there is a little bit of a recruiting factor when when you look at a player like that. Let me see, Joe Pavelski, he has a – where is he here? Full full no-trade clause, he submits three teams to a list. So he could submit – Ottawa, Buffalo, and New Jersey. They're not going to trade for him. Then every other team is exempt from that list. So these guys do have a lot 
of pull when it comes to trade deadline. They can say no to anything. And so it's, uh, yeah, the players and the players have a lot of control these days. GMs are so willing to give these guys no move clauses. Like I'm just looking at Dallas. Sagan has a no move clause. Ben has a no move clause. Pavelski. Radulov has a no move clause. Radic Fasca has a no move clause. Like the, the, the fact that they give these out like butter, it's unbelievable. This never used to be a thing back in the day. Peter Shirelli is the king of that. He would sign like Chris Kelly to a four-year deal to play third or fourth line center. He would get a no-move cost. Like, it's crazy. I don't understand. Like, I get a player wanting to have that leverage, but for a GM to just give into that, it, it's very – I don't understand it. Because what is a player going to do? Just say no to the contract? Like, they're, they're still going to sign on the dotted line. I, I don't know. I don't Sometimes they'll accept less money, though, for that. Like, I'll give you, you know, I'll make 700K less a year if you give me five teams or whatever. No, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense to me. But, yeah, good for the players. Hold that leverage over the GMs. All right, Tim, anything else we're going to touch on today? I'm going to make my points back pick. Oh, actually, I forgot. Let's do it together. There's only two games tonight. Let's make a parlay. Let's, let's, the first game is Carolina versus Toronto. Okay. Who do you like in that game? Carolina, Toronto? Yep. That's a big game. Yeah. It's a huge game. Sebastian Aho had a great night. I'm going Sebastian Aho in the Carolina Hurricane. Where is the game in? Carolina, Toronto? Toronto. I'm still going Carolina. That's a good game. Slight underdogs plus 105. So that's a good start. And then the next one is the, it's kind of the opposite the Devils versus the Senators. What do you like there? I thought we were doing this. This is just me doing the picks. This is a part of this one. Um, I will pick the Devils. Well, actually, Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes is not. He's got COVID. You got to go the Senators. The Senators. They're underdogs, too. So, um, yeah, I'll go the Senators. So, Senators. And hurricanes lock it in. It's it's almost a guaranteed money. So check it out. Go to points bet. Get yourself some money. Go to DoorDash. Get yourself some food. We pr- we help all of our listeners. It's amazing the charity we give them. We're just it's an amazing podcast and we're doing here. It really is. But anyways, what's amazing is you listeners. Thank you for the support. We really appreciate it. Check us out next episode on Wednesday. All right, everybody, have a good day. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.